Australian perspective on the world of football. This week, goalkeeper impersonations in the Premier League, Ola Toivonen has a football rideshare rival, female referees joining the ranks in the A-League, and Arsenal enthusiast Killian joins us to discuss Arteta's artisanal arsenal. Joining Killian I, though, is Damo. Damo, uh, how frothy are you feeling uh, after the UFC anticlimax this afternoon? Yeah, I've had a few beers, but uh, it's good to be back on the pod finally after a few uh, few. It's been a few weeks, hasn't sidelines. it? Yes, I've been in the reserves, so uh, good to be back in the first team this week. Another man who's been in the reserves for a couple of weeks, uh, Killing. Uh, you would have uh, watched the UFC this afternoon, right, being an Irishman? Uh, I gave it a miss. At, at least you are wearing green, though, so it's good to see that you were, you were getting around, Connor. I'm just happy to get called back up to uh, to play. I'm getting getting on the, the lineup a bit more regularly, so I must be doing something right. It's great, mate. It's, it's great to have you on board. Um, all right, boys. Uh, what's what's caught you caught your eye this week? Uh, my moment of the week. I can't go past Erling Haaland for Dortmund last night. Not sure on my pronunciation of that, but we'll we'll roll with it. Good the, enough. Um, uh, friend friend of the pod, uh, Jonas, will have to let us know about our Danish pronunciations. He, um, regardless of my pronunciation, he came on in the 55th minute um, for his debut for Dortmund when they were 3-1 down. He um, scored three goals in 22 minutes and Dortmund turned around to win 5-3 in that game. So you can't really ask for a more inspired debut and, I mean, a hat-trick on debut. He's kind of proving that this man can score anywhere and I'm sure Man United will be regretting they didn't pay premium price for him right now oh, I don't know I don't think I think he did well to go to Dortmund ahead of United I mean I maybe he just wanted to play Champions League football oh <laughs> <laughs> Killer what uh, what caught your eye this week mate oh so um, I don't know if you guys probably didn't notice but uh, the try us Lord Nicholas Bentner had a birthday during the week oh and, happy um, birthday happy birthday so if you're listening <laughs> uh, he, might, he well might be listening because um, stranger things have happened well, mate. He's, he's, he's currently under house arrest <laughs> so um, he's not probably much got much going on so does that mean like he wasn't going out to a bar he was just having a house party or um, actually, yeah, I'm not sure what the uh, the terms and conditions of house arrest are. You let have friends over? I don't know. Be, be rude not to. I'd be, assume be pretty so, lonely yeah. otherwise. Might ask <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just thought I'd share a fun fact, which is little known. I was I was a big big Bentner fan. Um, as oh, I thought fan it was going to be some facts about house arrest. No, 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 no experience for that. Okay, sorry, Rick, but um, yeah, big fan. I used to have a. Back when I was 16, I set up a Nicholas Bentner Appreciation Society Facebook page. Stop it. Which is no longer active. But we managed to get up to about 50 or so followers, all randoms. And uh, again, Mate, a someone, lot of engagement. Someone would have taken that over, you know. Like, it's probably got 50,000 followers or something now. No, no, no. I shut it down. I shut it down. <laughs> Party's over. Um, no, I, I mean, someone's probably, like, set up their own now. And it's probably got, like, 50,000 followers. a few going as well. I, I had a few rival, mm-hmm. rival um, sites. But... But the fact is that we'll never, I'll never forget him. He's actually a Guinness uh, world record holder, mm-hmm. um, and it's good Irish link. Mm-hmm. 
It's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and it is for his footballing talents and ability. So he's actually got the uh, the fastest Premier League goal by a substitute in uh, six seconds. And he scored. That was the winner against Tottenham Hotspurs back in, I think it was about 2006. Did he, he literally ran from the sideline and first touch from a corner, or wasn't it? I was going to say, it, it must corner. have been a corner because I can't think of any other way in which that yeah. could happen so quickly. And he just he didn't even break stride. He ran straight from the halfway line up to the into the box. The corner sprung in and he just got his head to it. Scenes. Yeah. Um, speaking of scenes, uh, scenes at the moment in uh, the FA Women's Super League with uh, Aussies. The, the Matildas seem to be taking over in the last week or so. Obviously, everyone knows that Sam Kerr went to Chelsea and uh, one that might have stuck under the radar was Jacinta Galabadarachi. Uh Points for pronunciation, yeah. I probably butchered it. But, uh, yeah, Jacinta's been at West Ham now for a while. Uh, Sam Kerr's been at Chelsea, obviously, now for a couple of weeks. And uh, Caitlin Ford is uh, off to Arsenal. And Hayley Razzo's gone to to Everton, it seems. So, um, yeah, great moves by the girls. Obviously, it's not real great that some of the the biggest stars from the the W League are are headed over to another league, which basically competes at the same time as as the dub. Um, but look, yeah, it's great that I guess uh, the likes of Catelyn Ford and, and Razzo, uh, Ribbons Razzo, are headed off to probably bigger and better things. Um, I, I do have to shout out that um, uh, about Hayley Razzo's uh, unveiling video that Timmy Cahill got involved in. Um, I, I think you wanted to, ju- to jump in on this one, didn't you, Damo? Because I think you saw this one as well, didn't you? This was an absolute disgrace. Oh, I think. wow. T- Tim Cahill knows far better than what he read out from a script that said <laughs> Hayley Razzo had played in the MLS and in the A-League. And, and like, I think everyone gets what he means, but at the same time, it's like, come on, put some respect on these respective exactly. competitions, right? Like, they have distinct branding and distinct names to the say National that they are Women's, different. The and National Women's Soccer League is far better standard than the MLS in terms of women's football compared to men's football. So put some respect on the put, National Women's Soccer League. Put some respect on their names. And, mate, this this quite easily could have just been a, a co-moment of the week or own goal for me this week. But, alas, mate, I've got some good material for my own goal this week. So, uh, look, I'll, I'll save that for a moment. Um, but, gents, what about you? Uh, Damo, uh, Killian, own goals? My own goal this week comes from, um, of course, my Sheffield United. Um it was the FA actually sent a an official letter to Sheffield United and to Chris Wilder. A sternly worded a letter. Sternly worded letter, apparently, <laughs> um, which it was an official notice that there was images of Ollie McBurney in the stands at Swansea versus Cardiff making an obscene gesture. So that was the official Wait, wording of the. Um, what does that mean? Uh, like, well, was he waving too he enthusiastically? Was, or? Apparently he was in the stands and he was really giving it the big ones to the Carter <laughs> fans. Um, but I'm like, Was it, it Mike Dean-esque? Yeah, probably. Very <laughs> much so. But I really like, like, obviously it's a, it's kind of a ridiculous situation that they have to send a, an official letter to, to the club that he plays for. A, an official sternly worded official letter. sternly worded letter. But um, I really love Chris Wilder's reaction, which was he essentially... He acknowledged it by saying, yeah, well, you know, the whole time I was a professional player and manager, every chance I could, I'd come back to the lane, talking about Bramall Lane, and any chance he could, he'd go back to the team he supports. And and he actually said it's it's a breath of fresh air that Ollie McBurney actually went off to Swansea, his former club, and, and, you know, had a bit of passion about it. So it it was great that he acknowledged it and kind of, you know, put it, brushed it under the carpet and said, well, what, what's the deal? 
What I love best about the uh, the images was the, the bucket hat he was wearing. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a great picture to be oh, honest. You look like shared on MTag. He's going to rave afterwards or something. <laughs> yeah, he was wearing a Stone Island jacket, I think, as well. Like you can just imagine him getting in a scrap in like a laneway out like a laneway after the game or something like that as well. Like, oh just more scenes, more scenes. Um Killer, what about you, mate? What was your own goal this week? Um so I think we'll get on to Arsenal later. Uh-huh. But um, a, a small one was uh, probably the, the Millwall game um, getting paused uh, midway through the first half um, due to uh, some homophobic chanting in the crowds. Mate, um, every, every week, as far as I'm concerned, Millwall could be someone's own goal. Joke yeah. of a club. So, uh, just Sorry, a, Trav. A quick, that was probably just my, my quick one as well. It's been a relatively good week in football. Fair enough. Uh, look, I, I do have uh, one that's a little bit more elaborate than that, a little bit more niche. Uh, CNBC from the US uh, reported during the week that Hakan Shuka is uh, off driving Uber in the US at the moment. Uh, it's uh, he uh, he's in basically isn't yeah it? he's yeah. he's living in exile from Turkey um, in the US. Uh, obviously, everyone will remember Hakan Shuka for he's famous for being the fastest ever goal scorer in a World Cup match, and also f- uh, he's the the record goal scorer for Turkey. In his post football career, um, he was um, kind of in bed with Erdogan uh, and his political party, but things have kind of gone sour in the last couple of years, and uh, basically he ended up moving to the US and he tried to set up some cafes and some businesses for himself, and they've haven't really worked out and he, he sort of implies that some weird characters started to come by and sort of unsettle things a little bit, well, which is, I, I feel like he's kind of implying that, I don't know, like Turkish intelligence is yeah, getting well, involved or something from, like that. From what I've read is that he's kind of implied that Turkish uh, media or Turkish influence has frozen all of his money in his bank accounts and, and he's had to resort to driving Uber for a living. You know, you can read into it as you will, but um, like like you said, Tommy, a fall from grace from someone like him who was at such a high level in football is now, you know, living week to week driving Uber in Washington in the US. Mm. Killian, if you had to pick between uh, Hakan Shuka in an Uber or Ola Toivonen in an Ola, uh, which would you pick for rideshare? Oh, for sure, Hakan Shuka. The stories be so much better. It's so much better. I reckon. I don't want to hear Put about. Put some Ola respect Toivonen's. on DD, please. What, like DD Haman? DD Haman. DD driving DD. Oh dear. All right. Um, let's move on, shall we? Uh, overnight, like uh, whilst there was obviously a whole bunch of A League and uh, Premier League over the weekend, uh, one thing that could have snuck under the radar for a lot of Australian football fans in particular was uh, the Oliroos, the uh, under twenty one, under twenty three Australian team. Uh, they're playing in a, a qualifying tournament at the tournament at the moment for the Olympics. Uh, they are playing in, I guess, their their first round knockout game against Syria, and they managed to get through uh, that game in extra time, beating Syria one nil. Uh, my boy. Uh, Al Hassan Torre with the winner, fantastic finish in uh, quite late in injury time. Uh, Damo, what did you what did you think about the match? You stayed up until the wee hours to watch this one. I did. I watched this game last night, and to be honest, it was it was quite an uneventful game. There didn't n- nothing really much happened over the course of 120 minutes of football. Just um, screaming at the TV. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> That's good from you, but. Um, you know, you said your boy. We're talking about Al Hassan Torre, which is he's my not your boy, babs boy, or his um, 
or maybe Colby's boy. We're, we're unsure whose boy Al Hassan Toure is. But Look, Colby's not on the pod this week, so he's my boy. <laughs> but um, obviously, it's it a great finish from him. And, and Outside of the boot as well, from memory. Yeah, it was. Like, you know, pretty he, unconventional finish. He went through one-on-one and, and looked like he should have put it home with his left foot, but he kind of, you know... Does what he keep, wants. He caught the keeper kind of uh, flat-footed by hitting it early with his right foot, with his standing foot, you could probably say, but... You know, over the course of this tournament, Alhassan Toure, he started two games now and he's come off the bench for two games and he scored both times he's come off the bench. So I think moving forward, Graham Arnold will probably use him as a weapon off the bench, even considering Bowman and D'Agostino really weren't that effective playing from the start last night. But, um, I mean, the other is a one win away from the Olympics and this is the first time they would have qualified for the Olympics in, I think, it's 16 years or something like that. So well, no, no, they went to, I think it was 2008 that they went to, but um, they before that, I think they hadn't gone to the previous two before that even. So Which is the last time would have been 2000 when we automatically qualified. <laughs> yeah, so probably. It's, it's, it's been a tough and we've, I, don't, I don't think we've ever actually qualified for the Olympics through Asia. I think that's the stat. Um, Except for 2008. Was that through Asia? Yeah, or I think was it was. I was reading during the week that uh, Mark Milligan basically carried us through one, one Olympic tournament. Um, uh, which would have, which sounds like that would have been about two thousand and seven. I, I think the um, one of the most it could it could have been the one after that, which would have been what London, but I don't think we played in London, yeah. did we? I don't think we made. Anyway, that. sorry, but mate. Keep I think going. one of the most impressive things about this um, under twenty three's team is that usually this AFC under twenty three tournament, which um, the all four semi finalists would qualify for the Olympics, but yep. obviously as um, Japan are the hosts of the Olympics next year. They automatically qualify. So mm-hmm. there's only three spots, mm-hmm. which makes the third and fourth playoff game quite an important fixture if, if you lose the semifinal. But the, the thing about this um, team is that, that there's probably three or four, maybe even five players that could come into this team to make it such a better team. I mean, you're looking at Lockie Wales and... Um, Riley McGree, who are both suspended and can't play for the Oliroos. R- Riley McGree definitely would make it better, but yeah, I, I, I'm sitting on the fence a, a little bit about well, Lockie I Wales, mean, I think. You're either playing but Trent Nathan, Nathan Nathan off the bench or you're playing Lockie Wales off the bench. And yeah. Lockie Wales is a better option. But then you're looking also, Daniel Arzani is still eligible and he true, came back last night true, played yeah. his first game. Harry Suto is 21 years old. He's eligible to play the Olympics next year. And, and importantly, I think Nathaniel Atkinson as well. I think he's a very, very good option uh, for right back as well. So there's a bunch of players that are in and about the A-League and other leagues around the world that can very well make this Oliroos team a better side if they qualify for the Olympics. So this is a this is a very, you know, exciting prospect for this team. And Graham Arnold has said that, you know, he's using this team as a platform for players to go on and play for the national team. Yeah, it, it is exciting times. I remember leading into this tournament thinking like, oh, I'm not really sure about like the depth or even just the first 11 or the, the sorry, the strength of this first 11. But they, excuse me, they have really shown that like, this is this is a pretty decent under twenty three team, and I think, look, credit where credit's due. I think Arnie's done a fantastic job with with this squad as well, and he hasn't had heaps of time with them because obviously he's splitting his time between the Ollie Roos and the Socceroos. So, um, yeah, credit where credit's due. I think Arnie's done a great job. And two players I've been especially impressed with is Reno Piscopo, who's yeah. obviously at Wellington Phoenix this year. He's been unbelievable at. In probably his last two or three games for the Phoenix before the tournament, and now at the tournament, he's probably been our best player. And also Dylan Ryan, 
who plays as a centre-half for the Oli Roos, who is a Wollongong boy. Tommy, if you didn't know, he played at the Wolves. Um, he was at Wanderers Youth Academy, and now he's off in Herevin in the Eredivisie. Ooh. So he hasn't actually played a game yet, but um, I'm sure if they've been watching this tournament, he's in line for an, an appearance at some time the back end of this season in the first team. It's fantastic. Um, but I, I, uh, last night while watching the game, I, I went through... Just a reminder that Damo watched the game. I did watch the game. <laughs> and I, I went through uh, Twitter and Facebook, and obviously we all know about the Australia versus Syria um, viral memes that went around the, the we investigation go. into the grassland. Here we go. Uh, about, was it, 18 months ago or so. And so I went through social media to find the best comments from Syrians on Australian posts. And I've, I've, I've put together the four best comments that I found. And number one is, we will stay behind you until we all shave. Let's go heroes. <laughs> so that's number one. I feel um, like that's that's a bit racist against themselves, <laughs> saying that they're all hairy, but keep going. Uh, number two <laughs> is, sorry, but the warrior face and the man bun do not reconcile. Uh-huh. Um, so make of that what you will. I think the Syrian captain has a man bun. So I'm not sure if he's the supporter oh, I, of the long hair. I thought, um, not, not having checked out all of the Oli Roo's haircuts, I thought maybe that was a reference to one of I the Oli I think he's actually upset with his own captain Ooh. this post. So um, the next one is, God is hard for both sides. Mm. <laughs> oh. God is very hard. For both sides. And the last one, of course, is... You could take that a bunch of ways, couldn't you? You could definitely <laughs> take that very many ways. The last one, which is my favourite, Syria, kangaroos ready to sexy time your mothers from, <laughs> from Saudi Arabia. So this what? was a Saudi Arabian commenting on an Australian post against Syria supporting Australia. Great, great content. This, wow. is, what we, this is what we're here for. This is this is Google Google Translate at its best. Thank you so much, Google Translate, for that. Oh, geez, I think we we just all wish that everyone was just having sexy time. I guess so. With kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, any more demo, or is that all? No, that that's, that was oh. the top four that I took from last night. So oh, you mean there's I, more? I, I, I could have gone all <laughs> night, but I thought we'd uh, we'd wrap this up. You're, you're right. So Look, I, I think the top four is sufficient. The top, the, the fifth one probably would have just pushed They're us the over Champions the edge. League yeah. spots. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next up, the A League. Oh, that was a tame pass to Ziegler, pounced upon by Brimmer. Bruno Fornaroli, low park, can't keep it out after the deflection. A yellow card and a goal already for Bruno Fornaroli. And it's six in six. And they're in front six minutes in. Well, it's just a sloppy pass. And Fornaroli punishes the sloppy wanderers. Okay, it was a, another big round in the A-League this week. Uh, all the teams in action, bar Sydney. Um, and it seemed as though pretty much every... Um, home team uh, got up, I think, with the exception of the Wanderers. Uh, Speaking of the Wanderers, they hosted Perth in the final uh, match of the round, uh, which was the one that we watched just prior to the recording of the pod this afternoon. Uh, It was Perth that took an early lead through Fornaroli, who capitalised on a defensive error from the Wanderers as they played out of defence. It was Fornaroli's fifth goal in the last four games. Um, just short of the hour mark, Georgievski found Yeboah at the back post, who looked to have chested the ball into the back of the net. Further replay showed that this was most likely a handball, and Wanderers fans were furious uh, when VAR ended up calling it back. But to be honest, this looked as though it actually was uh, a handball and should have been called back. 
boys, do you agree with the uh, the VAR decision? Yeah, I mean, on first um, glance, I mean, in real time, I thought it was straight off his chest, thought it was a goal. But looking back at the replay a couple of times, I think you can quite clearly tell it comes off his bicep and he kind of moves his, moves his arm in towards the ball. So, I mean, this is the kind of instance where VAR and the referee coming over to watch on the monitor really helped because it, it, they made the right decision in the end. I was so impressed by his reflexes anyway, though, because that ball was fizzed out. It was coming in quickly, wasn't it? And as you said, in real time, it just looked like he managed. It looked like an amazing finish, just being able to actually get his chest in the way and, and steer it into the goal. But It reminded me a little bit of like the odd futsal goal, where like you're, you're at the back post and someone is trying to like get it to your feet and instead they fizz it at your chest instead. And so you just throw your body yeah, at it. Yeah, exactly. And you can't do anything else other than just throw your body at it and you're... You're just trying to get anything on it to try and steer it goalwards, but uh, yeah, it just doesn't come off. And yeah, I guess I can relate to your bower a little bit in these circumstances. Um, uh, Kianese was robbed of a second Perth goal after VAR, VAR said that he was offside. Um, and it basically stayed that way at uh, 1-0 to, to Perth um, in what was a bit of a dour match with not wasn't huge on quality. Um, but boys, there appears to be rumours that um, Simon Cox is about to, to sign for the Wanderers after Alex Meyer was released. Boys, do you think he's being signed purely for the RBB, Fox, the Ladies League and A-League memes uh, to do TIFO's memes and unfunny headlines? <laughs> I mean, well, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is an all but confirmed signing as of a few days ago and they've got rid of... So what? it's confirmed that he's only being signed exactly. for, for the that, memes and TIFOs? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's also what Wikipedia says as that, well. He's on the squad <laughs> on Wikipedia. I mean, that's... The A-League is just there for the memes, right? It's 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 like gone full circle now and, and like the league doesn't exist for memes. It's now... Oh, sorry. The, the, the memes don't exist for the league. It's uh, the the league... Exists for for the memes, yeah. How much? uh, How many followers does the A League memes Twitter page have compared to the actual A League? Probably more, to be honest. The the Facebook page probably has more and more engagement than the actual A League page. I would I would nearly be certain on that. I'd love if the A League followed A League memes. They do, and they (laughs) They do. They like there's actual like communication between them now. It's it's they've gone legit. A League memes. It's actually great. Love to see it. A League memes is the social media marketing for the A League. It's unbelievable. I I wouldn't be surprised. And look, maybe this sounds a little bit tin um, tin foil hat esque, but I wouldn't be surprised if that million million dollars that that meme fund has just gone to A League memes, and, and they've turned pro. It's a big shout. We'll have to uh, ask our A League memes insider. I reckon they'll never, they'll never announce it because they, they, it would ruin their, their sort of whole credibility if, like, it turned out that they were just a, a an FFA stooge. <laughs> <laughs> But look, there was some other news that came out of, uh, not necessarily out of Wanderers headquarters, but out of ESPN of all all places this afternoon about uh, Marcus Bell, Damo? Yeah, well, we we were watching the game, as you said, Tommy, and I was just scrolling through Twitter. So you weren't really watching the game then? Well, no, it was pretty uneventful, so I was trying to distract myself by scrolling through Twitter. Doing the same thing you were doing watching the Oliroos game. Yeah, exactly, scrolling through Twitter and finding the best content. But But it's uh, all right, to be fair, at the City game, I was like reading about ice hockey rules, so... (laughs) But a tweet I found, like as you said, Tommy, from ESPN, which was posted in about the 70th minute of, of uh, the Wanderers versus Perth game when obviously Wanderers were down 1-0 at the time and finished that way. But uh, it said, the Western Sydney Wanderers are expected to part ways with coach Marcus Babble within the next 24 hours. 
sources close to the club have confirmed. So, I mean, I I don't know whether this is a case of this is just a uh, media outlet trying to get in before anyone else, you know, assuming that this would be the case if they lose and and when he does get sacked, they can claim, oh, look, we were first or or if they actually know something that everyone else doesn't know. But either way, it's it's pretty interesting that um, official media outlets are reporting that Marcus Babbles is out of a job. Yeah, I mean, it, it was quite late in the game. I know there was still 20 minutes to go, but, like, it was only, like, literally, I think, five minutes before that that it had a goal disallowed, right? Like, it was only last weekend, it was this time last week, that we were discussing about uh, Central Coast's ridiculous comeback from, from 1-0 down to, to, take the, to take the win all in injury time. So, look, weird shit happens in the A-League and, like, in football in general, and so... Uh, like, you, you just never know. And look, as as much as uh, the Wanderers never really looked like creating a, an equaliser, by the same token, any one of those players is, is capable of putting, pulling some ridiculous now, uh, ridiculousness out of their backsides and, and creating something out of nothing. So you just never know. So it had, had the potential for ESPN to have some egg on their faces, I think. And, yeah. and that nearly happened at the end of the game. Um, Wanderers came close to scoring... With a couple of chances that they probably should have scored. There was a couple of attempts from, you know, within 10 to 12 yards that they kind of just uh, scuffed a couple of um, mm. uh, attempts on goal. So, yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't really know the legitimacy of the source that ESPN have got or whether it's just a guess or, or what's going on. But I, it's kind of something that A-League fans have been speculating for probably... The better part of the last month that Babel I thought you were going to say the, the better job. part of the, la- of the <laughs> last year. Well, <laughs> well they, they could nearly say that, couldn't you? Yeah, they wouldn't have gotten any like new information since the start of the game and when they put it that tweet out or put that that article. So it's it's if they have any sources like th- those those th- those plans to get rid of them were like well in the pipelines before the game started. Mm. Yeah, which which I'm you know I'm not doubtful that was that could have been the plan that he was going regardless. He's been in that you know poor of form, the Wanderers. So. I wouldn't doubt that that could even be the case, Killian. That they they were told before the game this was happening happening regardless. Yeah, interesting times at the Wanderers, and look, I I guess uh, it's going to be very interesting to see who they get into replace Babel if he if he does move on because it, it appears as though um, and Adelaide are probably in a similar position where they're probably wondering if. Um, getting a, a high profile or an experienced overseas coach is necessarily the right way to go. Well, victory as well now. Obviously, yep. they've appointed a, a caretaker manager, they say, for the rest of the season. So it's kind of a damage limitation, I guess, for them for the rest of the year and work on appointing it's, someone. It's like an official write-off, year. isn't it? It's saying, it yeah, like we're done for the rest of the season. Like we but don't honestly, think we're going to achieve that's, anything. That's probably the best way to approach it because you look at it as though... Wanderers or Adelaide might go in and try and appoint someone big and go, this is going to turn us around. And mm. if it doesn't, then how can you really put your faith in that manager for the beginning of next season? Whereas yep. victory, this season's a write-off regardless of who they bring in mm. uh, managerial-wise and giving it to a, you know, a, an assistant as a caretaker for the rest of the season is kind of, a, like you said, Tommy, it's a, yeah, we've written this season off and we'll start again next year and we promise it'll be better. And, Mm. If you're, if I was a victory fan, then I'd be on board with the rest of them. I wouldn't be turning up to the games. Yeah, uh, one team that does have an overseas manager and things are actually working out pretty well for them uh, at the moment is Melbourne City. They uh, hosted Newcastle, and honestly, they cruised through this one. Um, 
City showed while they're still deserved of second place uh, after hosting Newcastle. Craig Noon opened the scoring with a very tidy finish from outside of the box, uh, um, cutting in off of the right and with a nice curling effort into the top left-hand corner after some great hold-up play from J-Mac. Um, whilst Newcastle had plenty of possession, uh, they couldn't really carve out any any legitimate chances um, and they couldn't really make the most of that possession that they did have. Um, in the second half, Harrison Delbridge's uh, header struck Topol Stanley's arm uh, after a corner and a penalty was awarded after VAR intervened. Um, Jens, did you see uh, this, this penalty being awarded? Did you think it should have been a penalty? or I did and I mean... As as per the letter of the new law, it's a penalty. It's um, his hand got in the way. It disadvantages goal scoring opportunity. So, um, the, it was the, a bit shit. But like the rule is just shit, a bit shit at the moment. It's a bit shit. But the way the rule is written, um, it is there to clear all uh, interpretations of whether it was intentional, whether it was unnatural position, and and that's the way the law is written, and that's the way we have to play it this year. And and mm. by the letter of the law, that's a handball and. Unfortunately, it's a situation you can't really avoid sometimes when you're a defender in that situation, but it, it's it's a handball. Mm. While it wasn't exactly the same circumstances, it did remind me a little bit of Umtiti's uh, handball against the Socceroos at the World Cup. Like I said, not exactly the same circumstances, but kind of similar where his, head's, uh, sorry, his hand is above his head and it's like, well, even if the ball comes off of someone else, when your ball, when your hand is above your head and the ball hits it, well, I'm sorry, you don't really have much, much wiggle room there I mean, to argue that, your that way out of it. That was the whole argument around the old interpretation of the law, as though whether it was a natural or unnatural position, and that that was a big talking point in how you would give a handball. And but as the law's written now, regardless of where your arm is, if it hits your arm and it disadvantages the attacking team then it's handball and mm. it's a penalty and, you know, it, it leads to some pretty shit situations if we, as we've seen in multiple leagues around the world. But, mm. you know, we we have to play it consistently. Yeah. Um, Jamie McLaren uh, ended up taking the resulting penalty and he struck it away for to make it 2-0 for Melbourne City and that's the way that it stayed. Uh, new Melbourne City signing, Markel Sasueta. I think that's how you say it, uh, made his debut and almost created a third goal for City on the back of uh, a wonderful counter-attack involving Adrian Luna. Uh, but alas, J-Mac couldn't finish the awesome opportunity that was created for him. Um, curiously as well in this match was uh, history in the making with the first ever female referee in the A-League, Kate, again, I think I've, I've got this right, Jackowitz. Um, she debuted after, I think she's done a record like eight W League grand finals, so she can definitely hold her own and has demonstrated that she's Women's a, World Cups and yeah. Women's Asian Champions, Asian, like AFC Championships, and she's top top of the line women's referee. Yeah, so definitely showed that she um, is, an ex- is a fantastic referee. And um, Damo, how did you think that she went in the, uh, in the game on Saturday night? Okay, I didn't watch the whole game, but from... From all reports and from um, reading match reports and stuff, e- everything that went um, s- went quite smoothly in the game in terms of how she refereed. And I, I guess the a good a sign of being a good referee is when there isn't any huge controversies. When you're not the centre of it, when right? When you're not the centre of attention. And I, I read the match report and there was really nothing about her decisions that she made. So wh- when you read a match report that says that, you know as a referee that you've done well, that you weren't mm. you know, at the centre of controversy. 
and I guess like there's there's two ways to look at that. Like the first one is like like what you said, or the second one is is that there, there wasn't really an opportunity for her to make a, a controversial call. And um, but I would agree with what you said that um, I, I think she she did a really good job. She controlled the game. She she did everything that you would expect a referee to do. She made all the right decisions. There was no stinking decision. You'd say what what's all that about? So yeah, I, I think she's done a great job, and I hope that she stays on the rotation. I would um, expect that she would ref. A far more A League games to come this season. Yeah, because I think we we've seen far worse uh, performances from some of the male referees this season, and yeah, look like basically she didn't take any shit from any of the players, and um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good performance. Looking forward to seeing more of her. Um, another uh, a team who I'm probably hoping that I don't see a lot of uh, for the rest of the season though is uh, Melbourne Victory. They uh they w- travelled to Adelaide as part of uh, the uh, resumption of the original A League rivalry, um, uh, in the first uh, first match of the post Kurtz era. Uh, victory were given an early penalty, um, however that was cancelled out by VAR. Interesting uh, VAR intervention there. Um, Adelaide did take the lead though through. A quite an unglamorous goal, which was bundled through uh, by Ben Halloran. It wasn't pretty, but Adelaide will definitely take it. It's pretty much the description of Ben Halloran, isn't it? <laughs> Not really pretty, but Adelaide will take him. <laughs> I wondered who you were going to say would take him. <laughs> well, Adelaide, clearly. <laughs> uh, uh, Elvis Cam Sober had a wonderful opportunity one-on-one with uh, against Paul Izzo, but alas, he couldn't find the back of the net. Uh, Damon, I know that you're uh, you're a long-time fan of Elvis Cam Sober. Um, do you think there's anyone else in the A-League that would take him apart from victory? At the moment, no. Uh, when he first came into the A-League, I was I was a big fan of him as watching a lot of him in, in the um, Victorian Premier League or NPL Victoria at Avondale. Mm-hmm. He played really, really well, particularly in the FFA Cup. His exploits were unbelievable, and that's probably what earned him an A-League contract. But to be honest, since going to the A-League, he's been you know all flash and no-end product, which is completely different from what he was when I watched him in NPL Victoria, where I'm pretty sure he scored nearly 20 goals in his NPL Victoria season at Avondale. So... Um, Shows the massive jump from NPL up to the A-League, It does, doesn't it? and it also leaves a lot to be desired from him because, you know, he showed glimpses of um, quality in going forward, but he just, he hasn't had any end product. His movement's good and and he gets into such great positions, but he just can't really seem to to put them away. And you you sort of wonder, oh, is next week where the the game where it's all going to come together? Is it, is it next week? Is it, it's almost a bit reminiscent of Lockie Wales. But but how long, (laughs) how long can you say? Yeah. How long do you wait? It's playing well, it's coming. It's playing well, it's coming. And it's kind of been the story over and over again for these fringe A-League players coming from, you know, NPL New South Wales or NPL Victoria specifically. These They're probably the top two leagues outside of the A-League. And it's, it's a similar story for anyone that excels in those leagues and then tries to step up to the A-League that they just don't have the cutting edge. And we saw it with Kane Shepherd as well at Newcastle. Mm. He set the, the NPL Victoria alight. He scored 30 goals in a season and... I think he scored four or five goals in two seasons at Newcastle now. So it's like like you said, Tommy, it's a it's huge tough. step up and it's a really tough 
change in, in quality. It also shows that, um, and you see similar sort of things with people that go from sort of some, like the Dutch League, for example, into the Premier League, guys that really light that up, and then kind of struggle to set them uh, to, to get settled at a higher level. And it doesn't help that if you, you go from playing week in, week out to, and scoring plenty of goals, confidence is high, and then you go to a tougher league and, and you're maybe not necessarily getting 90 minutes every week, uh, your rhythm goes away, your confidence drops off, and uh, it's it's really tough, I guess, to recover from that. And, and maybe what Kemps over needs is a, is a change of scenery. Um, maybe if he heads off to another A-League team, he, he might find a little bit more playing time. He he might uh, might rediscover some of that confidence from uh, from previous years. I hope so because, as you said, I'm I'm a big fan of him and I'm a big mm. fan of the way he plays. And you know, I only wish him the best, but at the moment, it's not really his best. One day we'll see the backflips. Um, another team that seems to be backflipping in form though is. Uh, is Brisbane. They uh, continued their resurgence with a 1-0 win over the high-flying Wellington. Uh, Wellington, Wellington, who were on their, their own uh, good run of form, um, that now breaks, I think, uh, they won nine on the trot. Uh, well, they're unbeaten in nine. Undefeated in nine. Um, and so, yeah, that's a huge win for, for Brisbane. Dylan Wenzel Hall getting the uh, scoring the winner for the Raw there. Um, Damo, I know uh, you're a big fan again, another player that you're a big fan of. I know... Um, you're a big fan of Dylan Wenzel Halls, but was he the the key to the victory for this one for the Raw? I don't think so. Obviously, he scored the goal that you know separated the teams in the end. But I think the big difference in this team was through the midfield. Um, Wellington have obviously got um, Devlin, who's come from Sydney FC, who's been mm-hmm. quite impressive over the last few games, and Max Burgess as well, who's been who stepped in while Reno Piscopo has been away. Oh, sorry, Max Burgess has gone to the, the Woo. Um, <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uh, who, who stepped in for Renault Piscopo in midfield? It's a, it's a young guy who also come from a, um, another A-League club. But regardless, it, w- it, w- it was the midfield battle that lost this game for um, Wellington Phoenix. Wenzel Halls came on late and scored you know, a, a very impressive goal to win it. But um, throughout the whole game, Brisbane Raw seemed to dominate... Steinman? The- Sorry, who? Steinman? Steinman? Steinman. Might, might be. Um, whoever it was, it was, a, it was a player I wasn't particularly familiar with who was playing for Wellington Phoenix. And um, it was Brad Inman, who's obviously on probably the best form he's been since he's been in Australia, mm. really ran that midfield for Brisbane and just completely overran Wellington Phoenix, who looked... They, they just looked, you know, two yards behind the pace, which has been the complete opposite of how they've played across the last probably two or three months where their real advantage has been their energy and Ufuk Tale's style of play has been high energy and quick movement of the ball and they had none of that against Brisbane. I, You know, you say Brisbane have kind of turned their form around, but... They're just getting better results. Way, They're still I a think, trash team. I think they've been getting results in games that really have just suited them. Mm. They haven't actually played good football at any stage it's just teams they've played against just really haven't stood up and the way they should have been playing but i know you know we'll, we'll see moving forward but no Bris- pi- no piscopo no party maybe for for wellington kind of seems that way and and when devlin was off and obviously devlin was one of the players of the month last year in the a-league and mm. he really wasn't on form against brisbane and that really showed for wellington that he, he if he wasn't there then the midfield wasn't the ball wasn't moving and you know the possession wasn't ticking over as they as they like to do, and it just it really affected the way they play. 
Fair enough. Um, the uh, final match of the round, though, was uh, Western Sydney hosted Central Coast. Uh, Central Coast obviously coming off a massive high uh, after last Western weekend. Melbourne? What did I say? Western Sydney. Oh, Jesus. I got, still got them on the brain after the last match. Western United, the Woo, hosted Central Coast. Central Coast obviously on a high after last week's uh, come from behind victory in, in, in injury time. Uh, two goals for Bessar Parisha and a second own goal in two weeks for Kai Rolls was enough for the Wu uh, to get the full three points uh, from this one. Um, it wasn't all good news for the Wu though, with Diamante going off after 30 minutes, which which, which looked like a, um, not sure how serious an injury, but still, when it comes to Diamante, any injury is serious, I suspect, uh, due to his keyness to the team. Uh, look how... How do you think the we were going to go though if uh, if they miss him either whether it's for one week or five weeks or ten weeks? I think any game he's out is a big loss for them, not just the way they play, but in getting people to the ground. Mm. Pe- people love to go to the Wu just to watch him and what to watch um, Patagonis Kone and there's there's people good mayor mm-hmm. in in the community here in Melbourne that go to watch those players, particularly in the West and. Mm. Um, they, they genuinely put bums on seats, don't and they, they do. those two? And they're the two players that they've bought to put bums on seats. And if Diamante's not there, it's it's difficult to get people there. And I think we were saying today, today they had free entry at the ground to try and yeah. get as many people in as they could. And, I mean, when I say free entry, it was a... It was a like a gold coin donation A monetary donation, donation to get yeah. in and, and all proceeds were going to the RFS and CFA. But, I mean, which is a great initiative, but at the end of the day, it's... Um, the Wu struggling to get people into the ground, particularly in Geelong and Ballarat, and we've seen that they're trying to move games elsewhere. And ne- next weekend they're playing at Whit Noble in Footscray, yeah. um, which for people not from Melbourne is like Geelong's what and over an hour away from uh, from the CBD, but Whit Noble is less than five kilometres from the CBD, and, and so it's, it's very very well served by, by yeah, public transport. You very can get well the train served. there, and you can get the tram there. There's plenty of parking and. I think um, it's still an oval, but it's got it's much better accessibility. It's it's got a it's only got to stand on one side of the ground, and so there's a there's a hill on the other side, which I think um, that's a little bit nicer for families as well. It's a bit yeah. nicer for everyone, to be honest. Yeah. And I think that'll um, take away from some of that feeling of uh, like the just emptiness of of uh, GMHBA down at Geelong. So that's yeah. I think that's all goodness for. Um, for the Wu moving forward, and, and specifically for this coming weekend. And I, and I think they'll expect a big crowd there this weekend. Um, you, you'd think that they should get at least 10,000, From right? what I've understood... It's a long um, weekend in Melbourne as well. Yeah, in fact, from, everywhere in Australia, it's a long weekend. From, from what I've understood, knowing a few people in and around both the Western Bulldogs and the Western United, that they've paid a, a, between and $150,000 to rent the ground for this one game. Wow. Um, which, if you do the numbers, they have to get... About nine thousand. They have to sell about nine thousand tickets to break even. Mm. So if you're looking at four and a half thousand members um, and you're trying to sell nine thousand full price tickets, you're looking at a crowd of you know approximately ten to eleven thousand people. Of you know, you expect a few members not to turn up, but you know, you, you need bums need, on seats, right? You need in excess of ten thousand people to break even at a, at a game like this. Which, like you said, Tommy, I think they. Will, that's what they'll be hoping they can get. And mm. there's a lot of people that haven't been to a Wu game this year who are from Melbourne, like myself. I'll probably be there next weekend. I wish I could have gone to plenty more games, but it's it's not easy getting to Geelong or Ballarat on a yeah. Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Particularly on a Sunday, yeah, exactly. or a Friday. So, mm. you know, a game in Footscray, which is 
15 minutes on the train from the CBD is it's so accessible and it's so easy. And I yep. think a lot of people in my situation will go to the game. So uh, we'll see how, how it goes for Western United and maybe that'll be an option for them to move their games closer to the city in Melbourne's western suburbs. But, um, you know, moving forward, we'll see how they go. Yeah. Next up, Premier League. Saka. Saka. Ozil. Lacazette. This is tidy. Saka's cross. And Martinelli is there. And it's all in the timing for Arsenal. Just before the break, they have a welcome lead. They have an early edge at the Emirates against a side who had been asking questions. All right, we're not going to necessarily start with the biggest fixture this week, but we are going to start with the biggest fixture when it comes to more than a game host this week. Um, of course, that means that we're going to be discussing Killian's Arsenal hosting Damo's Sheffield United. Uh, Sheffield United started the game pressing up very high early on as we've become accustomed to seeing. However, it was Arsenal with the best early chance after Pepe broke free uh, before crossing to Martinelli, whose attempt uh, went meekly wide. Um, I think it was Saka. No, the, no, the no the, I'm not, it's oh, not sorry, the goal. The it's not run. the goal. Amazing little run from Pepe, which was quite good. I think he went past Fleck, then Stevens, then Basham, and uh, then yes. slipped in Martinelli, who just had a shocking attempt wide. Yeah. Um, so Arsenal's best player of the first half, though, did lead to a goal, which did involve Saka Killian. So uh, I've so just been out of it for 20 minutes. I'm trying to get back in, <laughs> back in the flow. Welcome back. The bit. Welcome back, mate. Uh, so Saka's deflected cross fell delightfully to, to Martinelli, uh, who's t- uh, who was basically able to tap it in from about one yard out uh, just prior to halftime. It was a nice goal uh, for Arsenal against a normally very defensively resolute Sheffield United. In the second half, Shackle was able to bring a decent header under control uh, from his chest after Leno was beaten. Um, Arsenal fans might have thought they had a penalty just after the hour mark, after Pepe was brought down in the area, but alas, uh, was not given one. Boys, do you think this was a penalty? Thoughts, Killer? I'll, I'll let you ch- chat on this first. It was an interesting one. I, I was obviously biased, but I think I think it could have been because he was taken down. There was no ball. Yes, he probably had lost control and like even if it wasn't a foul Sheffield would have like regained possession but I don't know that was a bit, a bit reckless tackle and took him down you've seen them given yeah exactly and like uh, I think I said it to Tommy earlier I've seen them given but like you said in in my opinion which is obviously probably the complete opposite bias from your opinion is that he'd already lost the ball he he ran into the defender and he was already going down. So, I mean, for, for me, the VAR looked at it for, you know, half a second and they looked at one replay of it and went, no, it's not a pen. And w- when I see that happen, it's, I, I feel as though it's a pretty clear decision that the, the, the right decision was made. But like, like you said, I've seen them given and, and if I was on the other end of it and then it was down the other end and it was, you know, uh, Liz Mousset who went down like that, I probably would have been complaining that it should have been a penalty. So... You know, it's one of those ones that when it's your team, it's a penalty. When it's not your team, it's not a penalty. So, Yeah, fair. 
And Arsenal had an excellent opportunity with a set piece right on the edge of the area, not long afterwards, but Lacazette, of all people, uh, couldn't find the target. Um, Kill, this is a little bit weird, I thought Lacazette was even taking this very kick. Is Lacazette really the best Arsenal have for set pieces? Oh, Lacazette has scored quite a number of free kicks. I think he's scored at least two free kicks for oh. Arsenal. And he had, so he has scored from free kicks and from a similar range as well. I would have thought, was Pepe still on the field yeah, then? Pepe was lining yep. up over I would have well. thought. Really and you didn't move, yeah. It really suited a left footer for me to go around the wall. but. And we've seen him do it. I remember like the, was it the Europa League game where he got two free kicks in the one game. Um, so probably you need to pick who's your set piece taker. I think... Um, but Lacazette like, like hasn't scored in like six games, probably yeah. seven games now. He was he wants, but he's probably he's getting hungry, six. isn't he? Every opportunity. He hasn't scored in six games, and the substitution board was behind him, and he knew he was going off. And he had the captain's armband on at the time, and he kind of stood over the ball and went, "Nah, I'm taking this because I know I could be going off right now, and I need a goal." And he kind of just went, he pulled rank and just said, "Nah, this is mine." And also with Aubameyang now suspended from the two games. Like he knows that Arsenal are relying on him for goals, and he needs to start providing kind of. Yeah. He's like he's obviously he's an amazing player, but just for whatever reason hasn't found the back of the net in a long time. Seems to provide a lot more to Arsenal's game in the build-up, doesn't he? Like, mm. which means that um, I guess a lot of the goal-scoring responsibilities in the, the pure putting the ball in the back of the net sort of falls to Bamiang. And look, yeah, he does a great job of that, but. Um, yeah, you'd be expecting a lot more from Lacazette, who in the past has shown that he's a he's a genuine goal scorer and a natural goal scorer as well. Well, when Lacazette and Aubameyang played together, and I'm sure you can attest to this, Killian, is obviously Lacazette usually plays through the middle and Aubameyang quite often plays from the left. And they have this sort of weird rotation where if the ball's coming through the middle of the field, Lacazette runs off towards the channel and Aubameyang comes through the middle. So it's kind of like this, they kind of swap when the ball gets in the front third, and it's like Lacazette's got more mobility to get in and around, back around halfway, and create more. I mean, Aubameyang, rather. And then he goes up through the middle when the ball's in. So, so it's... it's I don't I don't really understand Lacazette's role when Aubameyang plays. Lacazette's role is really to make way for He's the decoy runner. He kind of yeah. is a decoy. And so there's a reason he hasn't scored in six games is because he quite often gets out of the way for Aubameyang to score. Too busy running towards the corner post yeah, for, for Aubameyang. And even if it's... N- maybe Arsenal haven't played the best, but I can't think of too many big chances that he's missed either. Like, he's obviously had yeah. a couple of shots. There was that one from about three, four weeks ago where he sort of turned on a dime and, and shot. It might have even been longer ago than that, but... Yeah, I agree. He's he's taking his chances and he's standing up, but he's he needs more chances, finisher. doesn't he? Lacazette is a world-class finisher and he's proven that time and time again, but quite often the way he plays for Arsenal, he's just not in the position to take those chances. So. Yeah, and he, he comes, he, he true, he's the one who comes deep and holds the play up and has the runners running off him as well. Yeah. Um, I wonder now with Ozil playing a bit more now or else we're having a, like a centre-attacking midfielder actually playing there. Maybe he won't need to come as deep as often. I think it's part of the purpose of Arteta bringing Ozil back is that um, it kind of lets Lacazette stay further forward because mm-hmm. he has played that role. As you said, he drops in and turns and kind of distributes where they've had no one else to do that. But now Arteta's decided that you know Ozil is the man to do that again. Um, it kind of gives Lacazette a little bit more freedom to play off the shoulder in a way. Where, where you'd really want him to be playing, Exactly, right? and where, where he's 
he's most effective. Mm. Yeah, he's no use. He's not well. He obviously, he's, he's very effective still. But he, you want him in the box. You want him finishing chances. Boys, boys, we'll come back to this Lacazette and Aubameyang sort of quandary in a moment. But um, before then, Arsenal, uh, sorry, Sheffield United were able to find an equaliser late in the game. Uh, John Flex volley from just inside the box was enough to beat Burnt Leno. Good, good finish. Lucky finish. What do you oh, think, James? It's a great finish. Quality. Um, brilliant technique. I mean... No deflection even. Y- you can argue that there was a tiny deflection off um, oh, Maitland I think Niles, that's harsh on Fleck. It'd be harsh on Put Fleck. Put some respect on Fleck's name. Because he, he's hitting the ball from shoulder height into the ground and bouncing back up. Like, unbelievable technique from John Fleck. And, I mean, and it's, it's a deserved goal from him. He's been... In brilliant form. So. Career best form, and and Leno's also um, been in amazing form this season. I I would hate to think where Arsenal would be this season if it weren't for Leno. I mean, he has he has kept them in games where Arsenal have not deserved to get anything out of them. Um, he's got the he's got the second most saves after Dubravka. Yeah, in the Premier League this season so far, which is just. A damning indictment on the Arsenal. Yeah, I was going to say, does that spell more for Leno's capabilities or Arsenal's back four? Well, it, it shows that, like, for example, you, you think about how if um, things had been a little bit different, Arsenal might have ended up in a in a parallel universe with with Kepa, and Arsenal, uh, sorry, Chelsea could have ended up with Burnt Leno, and uh, yeah, I think Arsenal would be very happy with. Um, with how things have worked out, I mean, it's not very often that we get to say that Arsenal, in recent memory, have have pulled a better better recruiting decision than than Chelsea have, but they've nailed this one. I think Burn Leno has been probably probably the best goalkeeper to come into the league in the last three years, maybe bar Allison. I was so excited when he signed, yeah, because that was one of the big um, issues with Arsenal before. Obviously, the backline is now the main issue that we need to fix. But for years, we had, like, goalkeeper problems with, like, first the Almunia, and then Fabianski came in, and he wasn't good enough. And then Szczesny came in, he wasn't good enough. Um, so we finally got check-in, obviously, at the end of his career. Um, and even he wasn't good enough. But getting <laughs> Leno, at least at his peak, I think he was 26 when he signed. So we've got a long, a lot, yep. a lot more time with Leno. You've possibly got 10 years with Leno. Yeah. Damo, you, you didn't like my call about uh, Leno being... Probably the let's say the second best goalkeeping uh, recruitment in the last three years in the Premier League after Allison. I think you've got to put some respect on Dean Henderson, England's number one. But he was already in the Premier League. Well, he was with Man United, wasn't he? Last year he was in the Championship with Sheffield United, mm-hmm, but still with Man United. And uh, he's back at you know, and you know what the worst thing about this whole situation is? Um, in the summer, Manchester United said. Sheffield United, you can buy Dean Henderson for ten million pounds. Oh, that Sheffield hurts. Sheffield United said, "Look, we're not sure. We're not trying to spend a lot of money this summer, so we'll take him on another year loan." You know, he could he could arguably be worth fifty million now or more. Do you reckon you just roll back to Manchester United in another six months and say, "Oh, is that offer still there for for Henderson for ten million? To be honest, I think in another <laughs> six months' time, Dean Henderson could take over the number one spot from David De Gea at Man United. Ooh, I was just thinking that. Is there any, like, what's the, the word on that? Because well, De Gea's his. obviously always got an eye. kind of mm. Back to Real Madrid, but Courtois it looks like he's finally settled at, at Madrid again and seems well, to be doing better. Chris, Chris Wilder's been very open and honest with everyone that when Dean Henderson came into Sheffield United, his goal was to get some experience so he could go back to Man United and be the number one. 
He went through the United Academy. He's from Manchester. He wants to play for Manchester United. He wants to play for England. And Chris Wilder's been very open and honest that if that's what Hendo wants to do, that's what he's going to want to do. And I suspect that if you're, if you're Henderson, you say, play me now or sell me. Because he, he could probably go into like maybe every Premier League team bar, what, Arsenal... Bar a couple of, you know, yeah, bar, a, bar couple a couple of, of ones, teams, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, like he, he, if he's good enough, you'd say, if you're Henderson, play me or lose me because he, he's not someone that wants to be sitting on the bench and putting at risk his, his immediate England career. And, and that'll be an ultimatum, I'm sure, in the summer for Man United to make. Which is a really shitty position for, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, exactly assuming he's that he's still there because he would want a player like Henderson, like young English, like they're trying to build an English core of the team, a young, well. te- a, a and young Sheffield core. Sheffield United will be desperate to keep him. Yeah. And I'm sure after the two years he spent at Sheffield United, he's bought into the club and he would love yep. to stay there. Um, but at the end of the day, if Man United are offering you the number one spot and Sheffield United are offering you the number one spot... You're going to take Man United if you grew up there as a fan and you mm. played there your whole life and, like, you're going to pick that, you know. And, th- and that's, the end of the day, that's a decision he'll make. But it, it's mm. a big decision for Man United in the off-season because, mm. in my opinion, he's better than David Haye right now. Mm. What, one other uh, transfer quandary, I guess, uh, not necessarily for Man United or, che- or Sheffield United, though, is Arsenal. And, and when it comes to Lacazette and Aubameyang, I mean, Aubameyang's not getting any younger. He's still pretty quick. But um, Lacazette's sort of similar age as well. And I think Arsenal have got to make a decision at some point uh, how much longer they, they continue to invest in these particular two players Um because they do have some young, uh, some quality young players coming through, um, and there has actually been plenty of rumor and innuendo regarding um, Aubameyang and Lacazette in the post-Emery era. Era, um, Gillian, do you think um, either of those two players would be worthwhile to cash in on them now while they're still worth some money, or do you think it's better to hold on them, onto them for six months, eighteen months, and 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 let that uh, team continue to develop with those experienced uh, players there? Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one as well because I think those two players will want to play at the highest level before they kind of basically before they're over the hill. Yeah, and it um, doesn't look like Arsenal are going to be qualified for Champions League, does it? We're like, currently we're like currently you've got ten. one big contract left in you when you're 30 years old, right? Yeah, I think I think at the summer they'll, they'll obviously obviously stay for the rest of the season, but I think over the summer, um, I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of them left. Um, what do you reckon you could get for either of those two players right now in the current market? Aubameyang probably still in excess of fifty to sixty million, but Lacazette, I wouldn't say would fifty million for Aubameyang. Like oh, he's okay. already thirty, isn't he? I I would still think you'd get about that much for Lacazette um, for Aubameyang because I, I agree. I think there's someone out there stupid enough to pay that that kind of money for him. And yeah, look, he's a like he he's a player that he's almost guaranteed to score you twenty goals a season, um, but. You know it's only going to be for like one more season that he's doing that. I mean, for. but like in, back to your question about how long are they going to stick with Lacazette and Aubameyang? Um, Arteta has come in and he straight away recalled Eddie and Kentia from Leeds, so he's already looking elsewhere. If you think about it, he, mm. he's, he's challenging. He's challenging them and saying, "Look, your spot in this team isn't guaranteed. I don't care how much you came in for or what you're worth." You know, I've got players who want to play for Arsenal, so you know, play well. I'm nearly, I'm nearly very happy for Arteta just to to play the young guys because we're we're not competing this season. Unlikely to even make Europa League. We're tenth at the moment, so 
it's great to see Saka getting game time. Um, Willock is getting a bit more. Um, Maitland Niles is playing I'm right back. Well, it's I'm actually sure been a pretty Niles decent season in terms of like all of the Arsenal young players. Like they've actually got quite a lot of game time this season. I think Saka is is going to be an absolute gem. He's a star. He is. Yeah. He's he was Arsenal's best player last night by a uh, country mile. Um, he hey, himself he, or Pepe as he, well. It's great to see Pepe hitting. I think. Pepe in the first half now was was really um, effective, but I think still not consistent enough, from, is he? From thirty minutes going on, like you could have been forgiven to think Pepe went off at half time, in my <laughs> opinion. Um, but uh, Saka, the first half was brilliant. Probably the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half was brilliant. I think he copped a few heavy challenges from Bulldog early, around fifteen, twenty minutes into the second half, and. He kind of slowed down, whether that was to do with, you know, a bit of first-team experience and not being up the pace. But whatever it was, he kind of went missing the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes. But he, he was brilliant. He was one of Arsenal's best last night. And it speaks yeah. a lot that he's, he's not a left-back. Exactly. He's a, he's a winger and he's playing left-back because we've got no options there. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, well, it's kind of the trend, right, of modern football. You're, you're a wide midfielder or a winger and... We could teach you how to defend. You can be a fullback, right? Is because the vast majority of fullbacks these days, probably eighty percent of their job is attacking. Mm. So, it's it's especially a team like Arsenal and the way they play. But it's it's kind of an indictment on Arsenal as a club at the moment that you're relying on seventeen, eighteen, nineteen-year-olds to fill gaps that where you should have two, three players at elite level in depth. Like well, we left back, we do. I mean, arguably, we've got. Two very Tierney, like Kalasinac Kalasinac. probably start at most Premier League clubs. I mean, not everyone, but and then Tierney obviously has had his injury and issues. And I've seen all these rumours that uh, Arsenal are trying to sign um, Kazawa from PSG as well. So obviously, there's they feel as though there's some sort of deficiency at left back. And Tierney went back to training yesterday, and I think um, I, I looked at that rumour and went, surely this is you know a load of hogwash that Kazawa's coming to Arsenal when they've got. Saka played brilliantly. Tini's just coming back fit. Kalasinac is he's, he's a good, solid left back. It just seems to me like it's so unorganised and no one really knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. I saw a, a news report as well, just today as well, of um, Gilles Grimandi. So he used to, play for, used to play for Arsenal. I think he's a scout there, has been a scout. And he basically put out a public warning to say Arsenal don't sign Kurzawa over his, like, his lack of heart or lack of... Uh, like, lack of um, Cajones. Effectively, yeah. So... <laughs> if I mean I don't know much about uh, Kurzawa, but n- if if this person who does is very experienced with him is worried that it's the lack of heart that we shouldn't get him, like Arsenal's it's already problem, Arsenal's Arsenal's, issue, Arsenal's right? problem has been lack of heart from some players or like lack of just I don't. So there you have it. More than a game exclusive, Arsenal are definitely going to sign this player from well, PSG. Yeah, he, just, he fits the bill, doesn't he? <laughs> to, to be honest, like I thought Arsenal fits the culture. Yeah. I thought Arsenal had a really good result last night. They were they, they'd seem unhappy, but they got a point against a top six team. So, oh, you loved saying that. Wowie. Uh, another team that was probably pretty happy with its result was Wolves. Uh, they travelled to Southampton, and Southampton are a form team at the moment. Um, Strange to say, isn't it? Yeah, I know, right? Um, but Southampton, uh, they, like Saka, were were good in the first half and then trash in the second half. Uh, Southampton squandered a 2-0 lead with goals from Long and Benrack. 
uh, to take nothing away from uh, their home game against Wolves. Wolves' as Adama Traore continued his fantastic form, laying on two assists. The first for Pedro Neto and the other for Raul Jimenez. The latter uh, also uh, managed to help himself to a penalty. Uh, somehow the referee didn't award the penalty in real time, but had to be prompted by the VAR to award it. Um, bizarre, because to be honest, I thought this penalty looked pretty nailed on. Stonewall penalty for yeah, me. But I guess that's why the AR is there, right? To let us know if you've missed a clown. Um, this season, there was some concern about the Wolves squad uh, not being big enough or not having sufficient quality, um, but improvement from the likes of Adama Traore and input from new signings such as Pedro Neto has really meant that uh, points have continued to flow. Uh, Wolves remain in sixth spot, still in the hunt to repeat their top seven finish from last season. Uh, good signs for Wolves. Uh, meanwhile, the Saints progress temporarily uh, stalls as their unbeaten run comes to an end. They sit on in 13th spot, six points clear of Villa in the relegation zone. Just, just a quick shout-out to Southampton. After that 9-0 result to Leicester, Hassan Hutul, or however you pronounce his name, has yeah, completely turned around that club from... Getting pumped 9-0 to going on a, what was it, seven-game unbeaten streak in the league mm. or something like that. It's, I don't, like, it's, it's, it speaks to his character and his, you know, professional, you know, brilliance as a manager to be able to get that out of players that have just copped a beating like that and to turn them around and over the next two months to just be quite brilliant and like like you said Tommy one of the form teams of the league yeah well, so much so that everyone would, like even on this podcast we were talking about Danny Ings being ripe for a call up for England which is ridiculous to think he uh Danny Ings is like second highest goal scorer in the league it's yeah it's bizarre he's got more goals this season than his like last seven seasons combined wow, which is well. crazy to think Something else that's crazy to think, though, is that uh, Crystal Palace seemed to be Manchester City's bogey team. Crystal Palace is everyone's bogey team. <laughs> Does everyone Crystal just have a bad game when they play uh, Crystal Palace? I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> I, I, would, I would think so. I think Crystal Palace just bring down the level of football for everyone. Win, the manager. Spicy. Um, but look, Crystal Palace did continue their run as Pep's bogey team in the Premier League as they took a point away from Etihad Stadium. Uh, De Bruyne was lucky not to open the scoring early on um, uh, from a free kick as he hit the uh, the crossbar, uh, but it was Chenk Tosin who opened the scoring. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, who opened the scoring with a nice headed finish from a Gary Cahill knockdown late in the first half. Um, curiously, uh, the Palace uh, uh, recruiting team were saying that they'd actually had a. They were looking very closely at Chenk Tosin when he was at Besiktas. And uh, basically, they came very close to signing him, I think, when Everton ended up finally signing him in the end. So, well, to be honest, I think he's a far better option in that mould of player than Benteke was. And Benteke was who they had at the time, and they wanted a player of a similar mould who was actually half decent. Hmm. A late flurry from City saw two goals uh, for Sergio Aguero. However, there was a dramatic finish with Fernandinho giving Palace a point just prior to injury time. Zaha put in a dangerous cross and Fernandinho was unable to sort his feet out and he put the ball past the helpless Edison. Um, in the post-match 
Pep was very critical of his teams and they pretty much discussed pre-match about not letting Zaha specifically run in his defence like exactly like that. So he was obviously very frustrated to drop more points and potentially fall further behind Liverpool in the title race. Although I think everyone thinks that the title race is run. So uh, it was Palace's fourth consecutive draw. Um, it was also City's third draw of the season, more than they completed in all of last season. Quick question. Go on. Uh, is it confirmed that Pep is a bold fraud yet? I think what this season has demonstrated is that... Um, well, not demonstrated, but confirmed, is that Pep is a really intense dude and... He is exhausted. I think he is totally mentally spent. Why the Premier League? I don't know. Because we saw something similar at at Barca. And remember, he did a year less at at Bayern. So, look, I don't think this is dissimilar to what what happened at at Barca. Remember, he had a better team um, at Barca. And so... What annoys me about Pep Guardiola is... People won't look back at the season that he's had this year in the league. They'll look back at... City will probably win the FA Cup or the League Cup and Pep Guardiola's got a trophy to his name and he'll leave. He'll go off to Juve or somewhere to win, try and mm. win the Champions League. And the or PSG. Revi- the revisionist history will go, oh, Pep Guardiola is the greatest manager in the world. But when it came to push and shove, he leaves when it gets tough and he goes to a team with unlimited funds. And I'm convinced that Pep Guardiola could not take over a team mid-table and turn them into a top team. Yeah. Like Klopp has done, like Mourinho did with Chelsea, like you know, this Guardiola's not one of those coaches, and I, I'm I'm convinced that he's not an elite level coach like those. He I had opinions a little bit more widespread than you'd think as well. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd unpopular think. opinions that aren't unpopular. <laughs> yeah, but I think I, well, I, I don't know. That, I can't remember the specifics exactly what he was saying, but very much along those lines. I had a very good friend who was a, a big Bayern fan, and I wouldn't watch much Bundesliga, but he report back to me every week um, and towards the end of his stint he was basically saying the same as well about anyone could really do the work with, with Bayern and I think that he probably said things similar if he picked up a mid-table it's team It's not that anyone can do the work I think it's just that at a certain point the, like the intensity of Guardiola and I'm not sure if you guys have watched the Amazon series that he did not yet. in Manchester City but like, I'm waiting on uh, the Star Wars series to finish so that I can binge watch all of that and uh, the Man City doco. intensity is something like I've never seen before and he expects so much It's bordering on psychopathic players. isn't he, it? He is a sociopath in the way he deals with people and the way he deals with his staff and it's Pep's way or it's no way and when Pep's way doesn't work it's not Pep's fault mm. and that's the biggest that's the biggest problem with Pep I think um, it's very curious because you see Pep's teams lose bad. Like when things aren't going their way, you see like the collective toys come out of the pram. And it's inevitably, it's it's an issue with the way he defends. Yeah, yeah. Which is ironic because when he comes into teams, he kind of builds from the back and he builds a solid defense and he goes from there. And it's what he did at City when he first came in. But this year, the defence has fallen apart and he's got nowhere to build from and they've inevitably fallen apart. Mm. It's the same way Bayern fell apart at the back. It's the same way Barca fell apart at the back. And it's like... It's like he doesn't focus on it enough. But, I mean, Mm. you could probably make a whole podcast about Pep Guardiola and I could probably talk for hours and end about the way he coaches, but we'll leave that for Hours more. 
Um, two other teams that have fallen apart this season, though, is Norwich and Bournemouth, and they played against each other last night. Bournemouth's poor form uh, continued as they went down to, to rock-bottom Norwich in what was pretty much a genuine six-pointer. Uh, stick point, Steve Cook was sent off for his impersonation of a goalkeeper, uh, and Pookie was sent, uh, sorry, put away the penalty to give Norwich all three points. Boys, today um, I went out on social media to ask uh, More Than A Game's listeners about their favourite outfield players' handballs or goalkeepers' impersonations, and we got a couple of crackers. Um, Sandu Edwards uh, told a tale about himself being sent off with a scoreline at 1-1. Uh, didn't work out so well with him, though, or for his team. His team ended up getting uh, spanked 7-1. Uh, so maybe he might have been better off just letting that one go in. Although uh, he did say that the one goal that his opposition did score prior when he was on the field was an own goal. So yeah, he's not a great day. Yeah, maybe you just should have stayed at home that day, mate. Uh, Daniel Fimfasan... Uh, reminded us of long pins, Stephen Taylor's effort in the in the A-League. That one's a classic. Uh, at dates, Dave Saves one, uh, which I thought was an appropriate name for this segment. Uh, he reminded us of Enrique catching the ball on halfway uh, for Brisbane. I think it was against uh, Brisbane, was uh, sorry, Melbourne Victory. Um, and he actually sent us through some of the footage of that one, which made it even better because I didn't actually remember that one. But yeah, that, that one did make me laugh. Um, what made it even better was how he falls over while he's running backwards <laughs> yeah. as well. So yeah, Tries really to pretend like he didn't catch it as <laughs> yeah. well. Really enjoyed that one. So thanks, Dave's sa- Dave Saves one. Uh, MTag super fan Sal Love Soccer. He gave us an MLS one. Uh, who after a little bit more research, uh, this one was Mike McGee, uh, which is surely a made-up name. That's uh, the most American name. I know, I've right? Heard. <laughs> Mike McGee. <laughs> I, I honestly, when when I read that, I thought of Mr. Magoo. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, yeah, he gave us a cracker of a save against San Jose Earthquakes, which yeah, that's just another cracker MLS name. Um, M-Tag's Andy reminded us of two players impersonating goalkeepers from the last two years, uh, West Ham's Roberto and City's Claudio Bravo. <laughs> that's good from Andy. Uh, more than a game super fan, Shannon reminded us all of one that, of course, everyone probably thinks of, which was Luis Suarez at the 2010 World Cup. Uh, and, of course, while we're, at South, while we're at the South Africa World Cup, we can't forget our own Harry Kuehl's effort against I Ghana. Handball. I wasn't handball. Oh. Not handball. Oh. <laughs> Must have just been something in the water at that World Cup. Maybe it was the Vuvuzelas that made, it, made him do it. But look, uh, listeners, uh, if you've got any more great handball stories from outfield players, either whether it's yourself playing, where you've just lost the plot, uh, just been on a streak of handballs and red cards and penalties and just wanted to give one away, uh, let us know on the socials because we, we love to hear these stories and we'll be sure to share them with the um, other listeners. Talking about handballs, Thomas Glover had a pretty blatant one last night that wasn't called Ooh. in the uh, Oli Roos Syria game. The, a Syrian striker got in behind the back four and the ball was obviously bouncing through and Glover came out and had his feet inside the box but his arms would have been in my opinion, a decent metre outside the area and he grabbed it and clawed it back into the area and the referee and the linesman were nowhere near the play and they just let it play and, it, you know, it was for me it was a clear, clear handball and it was, you know, in the 110th minute or something of the game and it, it could have been a huge contributing factor but, it was, you know, when, when it works in your favour, who cares? Well, yeah, look, it's just another reason why I'm anti-VAR, so... <laughs> 
Uh, look, there was another red card in this game. Uh, ben Godfrey, uh, the Norwich defender, was sent off after having his yellow card upgraded for a, from or to, re, sorry, to a red card. Did the uh, referee look a, at the monitor? Yes, I think because he did. As of this weekend, apparently that was the directive. Directive by the referees association was for red cards to look at the monitor. Interesting. Pretty sure he did look at the monitor. Yeah. yeah, and look, this one was very similar to Aubameyang's from I think yep. two weeks ago, and honestly, yeah, you can see in it's one of those ones that. In real time, you go, yeah, geez, that's a shit tackle, yellow card. And then you watch it on in slow-mo and you go, yeah, he's caught him like high on the ankle. He's nowhere near the ball. He's the late. It's dangerous. Well, yeah, see. the ankle rolls. It makes it look even worse. And you just say, yeah, you probably should go for that because that's terrible. Um, the result sees Norwich uh, just three points behind Bournemouth and Bournemouth are also now fairly and squarely in the relegation zone with uh, with Villa and Watford have crawled out of it in the last couple of weeks. So um, amazing stuff from Watford, but Bournemouth continue to sink. Um, do you think, uh, considering where Bournemouth, Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth are at form-wise and uh, and table-wise. Uh, do you think Eddie Howe's in a fair bit of trouble at the moment? Do you think he's going to get sacked? Well, I, w- I was just about to ask that. Like, how much of a reputation at Bournemouth has Eddie Howe built over the last, you know, ten to twelve years? That he's synonymous with the club, isn't he? How how invincible is he from getting sacked? Like, what does it take for the club to sack him? Does does it take mm. them getting relegated for him to go? What is it? Do they have to pull the pull the plug earlier? Well, or even if he did get relegated, like would they still? Would they stick by him? Yeah, yeah. They very well could because he's given them everything they've got. Why wouldn't they? And they finished like top half every pretty much every season, haven't they? Oh, they've so been slowly sinking for the last couple right. of years. They've been hovering around sort of thirteenth spot for the last couple of seasons. I mean. That, and that's a tough thing, right? Is he's brought a team from essentially League Two all the way up to the Premier League, and he's transformed them into a Premier League club that doesn't really have Premier League facilities or Premier League crowd or a Premier League reputation, and they're not yeah. really a Premier League club, are they? And they've just kind of been defying gravity, I guess, for the last couple of for years. Too many years. Mm, so if you look at some of their players. I'd still argue that a lot of their players, their, their backline, maybe not, but I think. A lot of the attacking players would certainly are definitely Premier League quality. I mean, well, you look um, at the front, like the Josh King, Wilson, yeah, Frazier. Callum Wilson started the the season in great form, but he that has really tapered off hard in the last probably two months. I read a tweet this week that said Liverpool could win thirty seven out of thirty eight games this season, and still it's less impressive than selling Dominic Solanke for twenty million pounds. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. And I guess that is that is one of the problems is that uh, Bournemouth have, they've recruited well, like the likes of David Brooks, um, but some of He'll their... He'll come back to Sheffield United, come home, <laughs> Brooksy. But some of their um, some of their signings have not done well. Like, uh, I think it's there's still, the jury is still out on Lerma, whether or not he's been a success and he was brought in on big money. And also, yeah, Solanke. Uh, and also Jordan Ipe. He's, I think, still their second highest... Uh, uh, fee for for a player, so for a record transfer, yeah, which is million for like him. he he has done nothing there. He has been garbage for them. So yeah, look the um, 
it, it would be scary, I guess, a little bit for Bournemouth if they were to go down because you'd, you'd wonder, you'd be fearful, I guess, for that club and you'd, you'd hope that they wouldn't continue, like, I guess, a long slide down the drain. Particularly like, you know, when Wilson, Frazier, Ake, like, all these players all are going to leave. Yeah. And yep. particularly when I think it's probably been the conversation for the last year or two that Bournemouth say they're building a new stadium. I mean, obviously, what where they play now, Dean Court, I think it's called, yep. holds 11,000 people or something like that. They're building a new ground, which is off the back of their Premier League success. If they build this, you know, 30,000-seat stadium and they're in the championship, how how does that work out for them? This is a huge investment that they it's don't a get a gamble, return on, right? big gamble, isn't it? Big gamble. Another team that's just moved to a new stadium though, in the last couple of years is West Ham, and they hosted Everton. Uh, two set pieces just before half time cancelled each other out as West Ham uh, and Everton both played out a one all draw. Um, both teams had uh, have new managers in the last couple of weeks, and both teams probably would have been pretty happy with a one all draw. Um, Pickford did make a couple of great saves, one in particular from Fornals at close range. Um, however, this wasn't a game that was high on uh, high on quality, but um, you could see Moyes, who probably if uh, if you had to pick between the two managers, uh, could have hoped uh, or could have felt most deserving of a result. Um, alas, it wasn't uh, wasn't the case, and you could see he was still happy with the point and happy um, that they only really conceded one big chance, and that was the goal. And even the goal, I think they feel as though they can continue to work on set pieces over the last couple uh, over the next couple of weeks. As as a West Ham fan, obviously, the result last weekend, the game we watched, Sheffield United West Ham, which was a point ruled out by a VAR decision and then the results against Everton where both games West Ham probably could rightly so feel like they deserved more from each game. Mm. How does that make you feel as a West Ham fan that, you know, Moyes' impact and, and moving forward, what what does that feel like? Look, the I guess the, the key thing is that one, we look better defensively. We look less likely to score from open play. Um, and I think there is... Moyes is right. There is still um, scope for improvement at defensive set pieces. Um, but we do... We, we're still creating chances and we look better defensively. So that's pretty much at this point all you can ask for. So I think I think in the short time that Moyes has been at West Ham, I think there's been a, a good improvement. I mean, that, like uh, I mentioned the Fournals one, but, but Allaire had two one-on-ones that he could have or should have put away. And so, look, on another day, that could have ended up 3-1 or, or even 4-0 or something like on a, on a really lucky day. The kind of games, like you said, can be a 4-0 or 4-1 and you run away with it and you feel like we're on top of the world. Are you convinced by Hello, Tommy? Yeah, look, I think he's um, he's best at bringing... He, his skill set is best uh, at bringing other players into the game and I'm not sure if he has We've spoken about this at length yeah many times. I'm not sure if he has sort of the right players around him at the minute to to get the best out of him and to get the best out of other people so yeah look um Felipe Anderson's out uh, injured for possibly another month uh or another uh, maybe up to a month and so we might see some other players like we've seen Snod- Snodgrass uh, putting in some great set pieces Colby's and for, mate. yeah and we've seen uh, Fornals he's really grown and, and stepped up in the last six weeks as well he's been in some decent form and arguably deserved a goal I thought for his performance I thought he did really well so um, I, I think we'll see uh, improvement from Alaire in the next um, the next two months and he's uh Moyes is trying to play a, a second player up right next to Hilaire, which that that's aimed at which getting the best out of him. Yeah. Um, 
Brighton, uh, on the other side of London, uh, Brighton hosted Aston Villa, um, which again was a, not quite a relegation six-pointer, but wasn't far off. And like uh, the game I was just we were just talking about, this one also finished 1-1 uh, with Jack Grealish and Trossard's uh, goals cancelling each other out. Uh, the result was arguably more useful for Brighton, with Villa remaining in the final relegation spot. Uh, another draw, this time on the northern side of London, was Watford hosting Spurs. Um, and I've got to say, Spurs are already looking a bit meh under Jose. Uh, appears to be a case of no cane, no party. Uh, because well, they were they were pretty toothless, I've got to say. Three league games in a row without a goal now for Spurs. So That's concerning, it's, isn't it? It's, it kind of spells it out. Like, you've got... Obviously, Kane's injured, but you've got Son, you've got Deli, you've got Lamella, you've got Lucas. These are no. top-level players, right, that you haven't found the back of the net once in your last three league games. And it's and not look, like Watford, they've Watford are in good form, but... Mm. And Watford created a lot of chances. They like, did. They created enough chances to win the game, arguably, as well. Yeah. Well, they had I, a penalty saved as well. I, I, oh, think, yeah, yeah. I think as a Watford fan at home, I would have been disappointed to walk away with a draw from that game. At least without a goal. With that penalty as well. And we'll, uh, so new Watford signing, Busetto, he did uh, clear a chance off the line as well. So so both teams did have really good chances, but I guess it was just one of those days where defence won out. And an injury time millimetre denial of Lamella's goal as well, which, mm. um, you know, it's the reason there's goal, not, goal line technology in Hawkeye, but it wasn't given and... I mean, it's kind of the story of a Spurs season that they've just literally had no luck at all this year. And mm. it's, but, you know, the, then there's the argument you create your own luck. So I don't know what the recipe is for Spurs, but everything seems to be going wrong so far. And it just seems like it's going to make for a great Amazon series next year. <laughs> Oh dear, but um, look, the result does, uh, it was probably a pretty handy point for, for Watford, um, they continue to stay outside the relegation zone in 17th, while Spurs are 8th. Uh, another team that did pick up a, a very handy result was Newcastle, uh, who hosted Chelsea, great result for Newcastle, getting up 1-0, um, Chelsea, sort of similar to Spurs, um, they had some chances, couldn't take them, um, three particular, uh, one for Mount, one for William, one for Kante, all had amazing chances, couldn't put them away, and that really hurt them because Isaac Hayden, Hayden super late in injury time, gave Newcastle all three points when really they didn't deserve them. And I don't think Newcastle really had any other chances other than the one that they scored from. That would have been their game plan, though, going into it, I think. Super concerning for Chelsea as well. I mean, since probably early December, I think... I think it's like they've got one win in their last eight league games or something like that. They just seem um, really streaky, don't they? Like when everything's working, like everything like seems great, but I just, it, it's right I now... I feel like we, we revisit the same point that George has spoken about at length and we've talked about is that Chelsea just... They don't have the depth in players to play the way Frank Lampard wants to play. Mm. And it, it caught up to them and it has caught up to them and all of a sudden... They're just not getting the rub of the green because, you know, there's that little half a yard slower because you don't have the energy you had two weeks ago mm. and everything's not going their way anymore. But Yeah, you see someone like uh, Mason Mount, for example, he, he would be not only physically tired, but I think he'd be mentally tired because oh, Premier League is a big jump up from the championship and uh, I think he would... He could, he's someone that could do with a break for probably two weeks just to recharge the or batteries, more. right? Or more. 
Mm. But look, there are still two matches to be played in the in the Premier League um, tonight, Sunday night, our time. Um, Burnley hosts Leicester. Uh, Leicester with two wins in their last five will be hoping to bounce back from a pretty average run of form. Um, and Burnley uh, themselves are in a pretty average run of form. Themselves, uh, they've suffered four consecutive losses. Uh, boys, what do you think? What's your prediction for this one? I think Leicester get up here. Um, I'd say 2 0 Leicester. 2 0 Leicester? Um, yeah, probably about the same as well. Leicester is just a, a really good team at the moment. Yeah, I think uh, Leicester are going to be too good. I think you might see the return of Vardy here. And uh, yeah, 2-0 to Leicester, I think that's a pretty good scoreline. Uh, the final match of the round, though, and this is the big one, the big kahuna, is Liverpool hosting Man United. Uh, Man United have uh, won three of their last five, while obviously Liverpool have won five of their last five and are just incredible form. So, boys, do you think this is a potential banana skin for Man United, uh, sorry, for Liverpool? Um, I think... Any game against Man United for Liverpool is a potential banana skin. It's, it's Liverpool-Man United. It's, I just it's w- the I biggest just w- rivalry in English football for me. And it's anything can happen. And, I mean, I think we were talking about this earlier, Tommy. If there's any team in the league that can rattle Liverpool, it's just the presence of Man United. They will be so pumped up for this game, won't they? For any other game... It doesn't matter. It's Liverpool. They will do anything they can to take points from Liverpool. It's like the opposite of, oh, boys, it's only Spurs. Yeah. Um, it's, this, cu- this curiously is enough... and end-all for Man United mm. season is if we can beat Liverpool, they don't go undefeated. Mm. Or if we can take points off them again, we've, we've taken points off them twice and no right. one else has. Like, that's an incentive for Man United and that's all they need. I have a feeling it could easily, just as easily go, like, very much the other way, and oh, it could Pukers. be a cricket score. Yeah, I think I think it could well be. And you saw. I don't I think mean, I, I I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think this could be either a cricket score to Liverpool or or Man United, or Man United are going to win like one nil or something. Like I I don't see this being nil all. I don't see this being one nil to Liverpool. I just can't see it. Yeah, no, I'm Sorry, definitely. Uh, I think I think if we're going scores, I think three nil. To who? Oh. <laughs> I I think it could be. I think United could lose lose it and then just run out because they United. I mean, they lost two 0 to Arsenal against the the bigger teams. Well, and you think that they would have been pretty fired up against Arsenal. Probably not as much as against Liverpool, but still fired up. And and now against Liverpool, I think Liverpool could very much catch them with their pants down. Boys, I just want to throw out one thing before I give you my um, prediction, and that's that. Remember, Man United were the team that. Um, that knocked off Arsenal's invincible team. They broke that record. So, look, uh, I think uh, uh, West Ham... Uh, sorry, Man United. <laughs> I think Man United will be hoping that they can knock off this Liverpool side. And I think they're going to give them a bloody good run. And I'd like to see them do it as well because I don't want Arsenal <laughs> being touched. Well, I think um, if Liverpool obviously don't lose this game, it's their 41st game without... Uh, 41st game in the league... In a row undefeated, which is only eight games away from Arsenal's record. So unreal. They're uh, they just haven't got a full season yet. They're really getting there, aren't they? Mm. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, that's it uh, this week for the Premier League. That's it for the A League. That's it from all of us here at More Than a Game. Uh, don't forget to you can find us on the socials on uh, Facebook and Twitter. We're also now on Instagram as well, and we're sort of fumbling. Well, I'm fumbling my fumbling my way through that. I think, fumbling. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, that was an awkward um, sort of slip of the tongue, wasn't it? Um, just stop talking, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're, so we're on Instagram now. Uh, make sure you follow us. Uh, we're at MTAG Podcast. Um, yeah, you can see photos of us uh, recording. You can see photos of what we're seeing at the at the A League games, or that's pretty much what we've shown so far. So <laughs> make sure you check it out, um, and you can see other contact that we're, that we're putting up on the socials. Though, um, until next week, though, uh, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.